Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in, in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would unblock our ears and unblock our hearts. We pray that you would enable us to receive the implanted word that is able to save our souls. Oh Lord, help us. Give to us all that we need to be hearers, receivers, and doers of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Two Thursdays ago, some of us began the Hope Explored course. It's a course that's designed to help us see that true hope is found in Jesus Christ. And as I was introducing the course, I mentioned that since the last time I ran it, so much has happened 
to make us all the more hungry for hope. Uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. The ripple effects of which reach all the way down to the very price of your cheese in Aldi. And then there was the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, which took the lives of 50,000 people. Not to mention the many personal earthquakes that some of us have experienced in our lives as well. Sometimes it feels as though disaster both abounds and surrounds us, doesn't it? And I believe that the reason you know that things aren't the way they should be is because you know that things aren't the way they used to be. Now, I'm not talking about the 1950s. Uh, I'm talking about the world that existed before it was bulldozed by sin. The first two chapters of the Bible assure us that in the, in the distant past, the world used to be perfect. Try and imagine this with me. Uh, no one just was. No dictators. No tanks, no earthquakes, no toothaches, no neck aches, no school, gra- school bullies, no funerals, no regrets, no shame, just love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that harmony on earth was a reflection of the harmony that existed between us and God. That because our relationship with God was perfect, the world was perfect too. But when our first parents sinned against God, they fractured their relationship with God. And that fracture was reflected throughout the entire world. Now, everything is broken. There should be perfect peace in your home, but there isn't, is there? The ground beneath our feet should produce enough food for all the world, but it doesn't. There's famine in various places. And your body should be perfectly healthy, but it isn't, is it? And you should live forever, but you won't. And again, the brokenness that abounds and surrounds us on earth is a reflection of the brokenness that exists between us and God. But Jesus Christ is the answer. Now last Sunday morning, we we began a series of messages called Why Jesus Died. And last week, we saw that Jesus died to save sinners. This week, we're going to see that Jesus died to reconcile all things to God. To reconcile, to reconnect, to reunite a world that was cut off from God due to sin. And so if you've ever wondered, is there hope for my life and for this broken world? Will the sun ever rise on the horizon of my life? Is there a light at the end of this dark tunnel? Then God's word assures us that there is because of Jesus Christ and his cross. And so do keep your Bibles open at Colossians 
chapter 1. Now Paul, the, the author of our verses today, had never actually met the Christians to whom he was writing. They lived in this small city called Colossae. Paul had been assured of their faith in Christ uh, due to this faithful brother called Epaphras. But Colossae was saturated in things like the occult. And so Paul wrote, pointing them to a sovereign Lord Jesus Christ who reigns and rules over all things, both visible and invisible, good and evil, pure and impure, and who has secured for himself a salvation for individuals, yes, but also for the world and the created order as well. And so again, in chapters one, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, our passage today, Paul makes the point that Jesus died to reconcile all things to God. Uh, number one is creation's Lord, and number two, by his blood. And so number one is creation's Lord. Now, some years ago, Joshua Bell, a uh, concert violinist took a 14 million dollar violin to a train station he posed and played as a busker and after 45 minutes 1097 people passed him by seven recognized him one stopped to listen and after it all he made a grand total of 52 dollars beneath the baseball cap was a genius And beneath Jesus' ordinary looks was God himself. That's what Paul tells us in verse 15 when he writes, He is the image of the invisible God. The God whom no one can see. Wrapped himself in muscle tissue and skin cells and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. And then Paul goes on in verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. That is the preeminent one with these unique rights and privilege privileges over creation. The word firstborn, prototokos in Greek, or the title firstborn in English, has nothing to do with chronology. It has everything to do with authority. Uh, Sometimes people use this verse to say that Jesus had a beginning, but that's not what the word firstborn means. You remember in the psalm we read at the beginning of our service, God said to King David, who by the way you remember was the youngest of his brothers, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And then Paul goes on in verse 16, For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John 1 says of Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then in Hebrews 1 it says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now we're going to come and look at the rest of our verses a a bit later, but the point is this, friends. As Lord of creation, Jesus can reconcile 
creation. He knows how to fix the world because he made the world and is Lord of the world. No one is qualified like Jesus is qualified to reconcile all things because he made all things and he's Lord of all things. I still remember when before I became your pastor and we were all locked down and Mark preached on Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he used that illustration about that architect in Dubai who spent years with this team planning and tweaking and amending the plans for this great skyscraper. And that when it was all done, his work was far from done. Why? Because as the designer of the, art of the building, he knew how to fix it better than anyone else. And so if you are aching for hope, allow me to introduce you to him. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus made the world, and so he can diagnose and fix its problems. And Jesus made you and knit you together in your mother's womb. He gave you your eye color. He gave you your hair color. He gave you your skin color and gave you your strengths and weaknesses. And so he can diagnose your problems like no one else and give you new life because he made you. Friends, hope is not a mystery. Hope is not an enigma. Hope is not buried away somewhere waiting to be discovered. Hope is called Jesus Christ. He is Lord over all. No rivals, no equals, no threats, Lord, from beginning to end. Now you might be thinking, well, Hugh, if, if that's who Jesus is, then Jesus doesn't need my faith in him. Whether I believe in him or not, he should be fine to fix the world without me and without my faith in him. But friend, since we got the world into this mess, Jesus must begin by fixing us. And you might say, well, Hugh, I'm not actually that old. I might look old, but I wasn't there when Adam and Eve sinned. So you can't pin that on me. But friend, you understand that just as a whole team forfeits when one player scores an own goal. All of humanity forfeited when Adam sinned. And in a very real sense, his sin was my sin. And your sin was truly his sin because as human beings, we are one human race. And so Jesus' work of reconciling the, work to, the world to God has to be, begin with us because we got the world into this mess in the first place. Friend, abandon hope in yourself and fall on Jesus Christ. He is enough and more than enough for you. He's enough and more than enough for the entire world. And His glory can awaken your dead soul. And His love can soften your hard heart. And His truth can enlighten your darkened mind. And His grace can forgive your guilty soul. And to those of you who have 
done exactly that to those of you who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, can I say this? Tighten your grip on His greatness. Because the more assured you are of His greatness, then the greater your peace will be when disasters do surround you and when disasters do abound in your life. You see, friend, if you believe that Jesus Christ has your life and your world in his omnipotent hands, along with your family, along with your anxieties, along with your responsibilities, and along with your sin, then you will be able to sleep at night because you'll know he has it all. What did Spurgeon say? The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving him perfect peace. So friend, when I am restless, and when you are sleepless, we need to remember how strong Jesus' hands really are. Strong enough to exercise lordship over all of creation, over every galaxy, throughout the entire universe. And the bigger you believe him to be, the smaller your fears will become. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, And in him all things hold together. And so Jesus died to reconcile all things to God as creation's Lord. But second of all, by his blood. By his blood. This is how Jesus reconciled all things to God. By the shedding of his blood on the cross. Just look at verse 18 again. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus shed his blood to reconcile all things to God. Now, if you're wondering how on earth does that actually work, how does the shedding of blood equal the reconciliation of the world to God? Allow me to illustrate it for you. Uh, Imagine for a moment that you have a a father and a son, a dad and his little boy, and they they spend their weekends making a remote-controlled boat together. And they finish it, and they take it to a little lake, and they begin to sail it, but then a a storm, a gust of wind, blows it out of the water and blows it out of sight. And then imagine that some weeks later, they they see their boat in a a shop window. They know it's theirs. They made it. Their their initials are on it. So they go into the shop and they they buy it. Now it is doubly theirs. They made it and they bought it back. Well, the world was lost to sin. But when Jesus went to the cross, he paid the price to buy it back. He made it 
and he bought it back by the price of his blood. So that now we and the whole world are free to enjoy the harmony that we were always intended to know. Now, some of you might be thinking, all right, Hugh, so where is it then? Where is that harmony that you're saying Jesus shed his blood to buy? And the answer to that is this. It is in the beginning of the new creation, which is the church. That's where it is. See, in the verses we looked at under the last heading, Paul talked about Jesus' lordship over creation. But in verses 18 to 20, there's a a shift in the focus from creation to the new creation, which is the church. Look back at verse 18. And he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The church of which Jesus Christ is head is the beginning of the new creation, which will one day include the heavens and the earth. So that when the church functions as it should, it is a foretaste of what will be when Jesus returns and all things are finally reconciled to God, whether in heaven or on earth. So that when we as the church live like the blood-bought children that we are, we show to all creation a preview summary of the harmony that will spill out from us into all the cosmos. And so can I say this? If you are a Christian and you do not love the church, something is profoundly wrong because the church is as close to heaven as you will get this side of eternity. We are the beginning of a reconciled new creation. You remember how the old hymn put it? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her. And for her life he died. Friends, the church is an embassy of the new heavens and the new earth. And so what should we do? What should we do? Well, we should endeavor to have the church live up to the glory that is ours. That's what we should do. That since the church is a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth, this church should feel that way. Think about it. What is a foretaste for? Well, a foretaste is supposed to make you want the main thing. And so if we as the foretaste aren't glorious, then why in the world would anyone want the main thing? Friends, if we are just like the world that is passing away, if there's gossip and slander and and backbiting and anger, if the church is our lowest priority, then how on earth could we be a compelling witness of what we're supposed to be a foretaste for? How? 
But when the church is glorious, we demonstrate the power of Jesus' blood that remade us. And we demonstrate the glory of what will be when Jesus returns. And all of creation is reconciled to God. Not only we as individuals, but the skies above us and the ground beneath us. And wherever we look. Practically then, how can we live up to this glory? Well, here's one answer. Use your gifts to the max. Use your gifts to the max. Friend, it is no accident that you are gifted in the way that you are. God intentionally gifted you to make the church look as glorious as it really is. Remember how Jesus put this in the parable of the talents? When Jesus said it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so friend, endeavor to make five on five Four on four, three on three, two on two, one on one. Whatever it is that you're good at, do as much as you can for as long as you can to reflect the glory that is ours as the beginning of this new creation. But also, friends, keep the end goal in mind. Now, why do I say that? 
I say that because when you endeavor to make five on five, four on four, three on three, two on two, one on one, you will be disappointed, people will take you for granted, you will be frustrated, and it will be hard. Now, I hope this doesn't discourage Michael too much, but my, my experience in a similar role to Michael's and then my experience as the college and young adult pastor of that church out in the US actually did very, very little to prepare me for the reality of what it's like to be a pastor of a church. It is more glorious than I thought it would be and it is vastly more difficult than it would be as well. And there's a statistic that says something like 85% of men who resign from the pastorate resign within the first five years because the surprise factor kind of smacks you around the face a little bit time after time. But friend, what I have to do and what you have to do as you serve is remember what your calling is for. You remember what it's for. My calling is to strengthen the bride that Jesus died to win. As we seek to win others and to be a compelling witness of the glory that is ahead in hope and faith that others will join us as well. It's to make the church look as glorious as it really is. And for the glow of the glory that is to come to reflect and radiate from our faces as we seek to bring others into the community, seeing them repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, by his blood, we are the beginning of a new creation and, show, and so we should live like it in the hopes that others will be compelled to join us as well. And that's not just my role. That is your role as well. That belongs to the whole body. That's why Ephesians chapter 4 says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then later Paul says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful scenes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, we have a high calling. We've been bought with blood and glory is on the way. The cross behind us, heaven in front of us, a high calling in the meantime. Friends, let us reflect the glory 
that is already ours around us as we anticipate a comprehensively reconciled creation to the one who died to buy it back for himself. That's the meaning of our lives. That's the point of this church. And that is the destiny that by God's God's grace, we will walk toward together for as long as God unites us together in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may God bless us in that. Amen. 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 Well, we close with this great and glorious new uh, hymn, Hear the Call of the Kingdom. Let's stand and let's sing together.